Good morning and a very happy Christmas to you. Molly Yiv Goler. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing this morning, we hope you'll keep us company. We have a full table, guests dropping in, stories to be told and of course caroling voices on this joyful day. Seems to hear words of good cheer from everywhere, feeling the air. Oh, how they come, waving the sound, all of the trees, all of the tents. Here in the ring, why people sing songs of good cheer, Christmas is here. Ding dong, ding dong, that is the song, with joyful ring, all of the carols. Seems to hear words of good cheer from everywhere, feeling the air. Oh, how they come, raising the sound, oh, how they dance, in the tent. Here, 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 why people sing songs of good cheer, Christmas is here. Ding, dong, ding, dong, that is the song, with joyful ring, all covered up. Ding, dong, they send all without end, their joyful tone to every home. Thrown on they send on without end, their joyful tone to every home. Spine tingling, isn't it? Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's tingling from it. It's really left us with a wonderful feeling. The Sound of the Continuum Choir, conducted by Blondet Murphy this morning, heralding this Christmas morning with Carol of the Bells. We'll also be hearing lots more from them over the next hour. Well, around the table with me this morning, a festive gathering of guests for some conversation readings and much much more and I've noticed that they're all writers too which means we should be in for a few good yarns and there's a Dickensian flavour to some of our stories as we embrace the spirit of Christmas past, present and future. Well with me here this morning is Father Brian Shortall, no stranger to this programme. Father Brian you've changed parishes recently. Yes I've uh, moved to St Francis of Assisi in Priorswood which is just Quite close to Dublin Airport, actually. Moved there on the 22nd of August, so just beginning, just getting into my stride. And author Christine Dwyer-Hickey, you may be familiar to her writings, including her book Tatty, which is the Dublin One City One Book Choice for 2020. An exciting year ahead for you too. Certainly is, yeah. They're keeping me busy. I already have my diary um, bought two months ago, filling it up with a Tatty events, so everybody will be well sick of us by the time uh, 2020 is out. I also believe that growing up, you were, you were a great fan of horse racing. Well, my father was a great mm. uh, fan of horse racing. If there was a race meeting on here in, in, in Ireland, he'd be at it. And I used to go with him when I was a small child. And always plenty of them, I think. Uh, and Stephen's Day onwards, isn't that? Uh, yeah, Stephen's Day. Yeah. And yeah. I never caught the bug, though, I have to say. But uh, it, was, it was a day out. And Scott Evans, Church of Ireland chaplain in UCD, who describes himself on his website as author, blogger, speaker and hobo. <laughs> Scott, you know I'm going to have to ask you about that later on. And also about the B word, Bangladesh. Yes, yeah. Um, so my um, family moved to Bangladesh when I was seven years old in 1990. Um, we, my dad was working in development and my mum was working as a nurse in the school that we went to. And so we lived there for eight years until I was 15. Um, and during the 90s, Bangladesh would have been one of the poorest countries in the world. So um, to be there during kind of such formative uh, years of my own life, but also formative years in Bangladesh's journey as well, was kind of a, a, an, an amazing experience. We'll hear more of those Christmas stories shortly. And also with this is Dr. Aileen Murta 
from St. Patrick's Mental Health Services in Dublin. Aileen, I've left quite a bit of your job title out. It's a long one. Does it fit in the business card? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, I suppose in short, um, I'm the Assistant Medical Director of the Adolescent Services and a Consultant Child and Adolescent Psychiatrist. I can take a deep breath now. You see why I left you to do that one? It definitely does. And Christmas for you, Christmas memories? Um, I think um, really it's about celebrating family and friends, um, you know, taking stock of the year, maybe thinking about goals for the year ahead as well Mm. for 2020. And having a reasonably relaxed time, I suppose, is the other challenge for people too, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think everyone lives, you know, very busy lives. I think it's actually, you know, really important to take time out and to attend to, you know, self-care as well as, you know, celebrating with loved ones. So a big collective sigh will go out around the country this morning. So I mentioned an influence this morning from Charles Dickens, who at Christmas time in 1840, saw his novella A Christmas Carol published and it was to set the tone for how we celebrated Christmas ever since. Father Brian, last week the Archbishop of Dublin, Dr Dermot Martin, launched your new book, Sending Positive Vibes. What comes to mind when you conjure up your own childhood Christmases? What if I said the word Frawley's Christmas Club to you? (laughs) (laughs) We were dressed by the Frawley's Christmas Club as I think most kids in Dublin perhaps were. My mother used to pay into it. Uh, there was a lady next door. Uh, her daughter's palled around with my sister and uh, she'd send in money, you know, every every so often, send that into herself. And uh, then sometimes she'd say, go in, go inside, uh, tell her to give us two cigarettes till Friday. <laughs> and that would be the sort of the, the relationship, you know. But the Frawley's Club would build up and there would be a nice little stash of cash uh, towards the end of November, the beginning of December and all the clothes would be, would be bought and we would uh, have our Christmas clothes, you know. Really interesting, you know, that, that most people... Do people wear Sunday best anymore? Really, they mm. only wear the Sunday best for weddings or occasions. I mean, my dad... His father, my mother's father, would always wear a short and tie suit on a Sunday. Now people are just in, you know, their casual clothes, like, and so on. So we were all smart and all well-dressed for Christmas. I can oh, tell the you. Christmas From clothes had to be God. kept all right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there are other things too. I mean, reading through your book, you're talking about sending positive vibes. The, the nostalgia in the opening chapters were wonderful. Yeah. You mentioned all sorts of products and brands and things mm. like that, everything from red lemonade to, yeah. to sweets that we, we don't even see anymore. Yeah, yeah. What was that like for you to, to dig back that? And it's not that far. Sure, you're only a young fella. I'm 50 this year. Uh, it's sad. Sad, but but um, like it does conjure up a certain sadness that some of the people that kind of are in the, on the periphery of those memories, those sweets memories, those lemonade memories, those mm. kind of fun times memories are not there anymore. Mm. They're there in the past, but they're not there in reality. And it also is sad because one day maybe there'll be other people who are very much in my life who may not be there. Mm. Uh, later on, like when you know, I'm hoping that won't be for a few years. But anyway, know, it's funny I mean, because it's part of an Irish Christmas, isn't it? To remember not only yeah. the people who are with you, but the people who've passed as well in that time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and you know, the, the memories, of course. While I say they're sad, there there is a real joy there as well because I look back at a very happy childhood, mm. a mischievous childhood. There was eventually seven of us, so I mean, it was quite a quite a noisy house uh, most of the time, but particularly on Christmas Day. You know, mom and would mom and dad would go down the stairs, you know, right. and they'd kind of hold us back up there in the landing. <laughs> to, Just want to wait and see if Santa comes, you know, furtively open the door, and of course, the room would be transformed. You know, yeah, wow. Wonderful memories. Happy memories. Dr. Ellie Murta, you know, one of the things I, I was just in, in, in the couple of days before the programme, I came across an idea that nostalgia is a relatively new idea and psychiatrists years ago only identified it as actually at one stage being an illness that you could suffer from nostalgia. 
that's an interesting um, perspective. Um, and I suppose unconscious, the focus today is the past, the present and the future. Mm. And I think in our work with, with young people, it's about, I think Christmas is a particularly important time of the year for that, is taking stock um, of where you are. And sometimes you can't change the past, but I suppose you can change your reaction to the mm. past mm. Um, and hopefully move on then um, in the new year. And a lot of people will put a lot of effort into today uh, mm. and then maybe have that little disappointment when a young person spends more time with the cardboard box than what was in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Has that ever happened to anybody? Well, um, when I had my first kid, it was the first grandchild, you know, both sides. So there was just, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of presents. Talk about the front room and well, under the tree, you yeah. know, being transformed. Um, but um, in fairness, it was climbing in and out of the cardboard boxes, the wooden spoon, um, you know, banging off the boxes. That was the big hit. Yeah. Not the sparkly, you know, tricycle or the dolls or the yeah. prams. From your perspective as a child psychiatrist, what's important for a child to have had created for them at Christmas? Um, I think it's actually important to manage expectations. I think um, sometimes, you know, um, with young people, and I think it's particularly heightened around Christmas, you know, expectations are really high. So, you know, Christmas has to be perfect. There's a lot of pressure on young people these days. You know, they're posting what presents they got for, you know, for Christmas on social media. Mm. How many likes do they get? Have they had us, you know, go to Christmas as, you know, as the next door neighbour? So I think kind of managing um, expectations actually is, is, is really important. What do you remember from your own Christmases? Oh, <laughs> Monopoly games, really? board games. Um, I was big into My Little Pony, so that was a big feature oh. uh, for, for a number of years. <laughs> I did get the bug. <laughs> Stressing your parents out trying to find them probably at the same That's time. That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. And what have you kept? What traditions have you kept in your own house? Um, definitely the board games at Christmas. Do you know, I mean, life is, is very busy, so it's really important to Christmas to take time just to sit around, you know, particularly after the Christmas dinner and mm. or snap, do you know, just the, the very basic card games. Mm. And Christine, not every child has a, has a happy Christmas, but at the same time, p- children are amazingly resilient. Certainly you get that from some of the characters you've written about. <laughs> All unhappy characters. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think every, almost every child... Uh, will engage with Christmas somehow, even if, they, if they're having a rough time. And no matter how poor they are, or whether that's materially poor or whether there's trouble at home or whatever, children just engage with Christmas. It's, it's, and it is a time for kids, I think. It really mm. is a time for kids. Um, when I look back at my Christmases as a child, um, I don't really get nostalgic about them, but I do about when my own children were small. Mm. And we we didn't um, we didn't really spend that many Christmases in Ireland. We started to go away at one point. My parents were separated, mm. and so I was the only one married in the house for years. So they used to come. You'd have to invite both, and that could get a little bit tense, to say the least. So one year we just decided to hell with this for going away, <laughs> and we it was pre before just before the internet um, yeah. kicked off. So we found a log cabin advertised in a place in Scotland, and. Um, we it took many adventures to get there, a broken down car outside Balbriggan, uh, a night in um, a, a hotel in Larne, which was a very much an orange lodge. The King Billy band were playing just to <laughs> tell you what it was like. And we eventually got to our little log cabin. And the, the I would recommend it to people. People say, oh, we couldn't afford to go away. But actually, it was much cheaper than staying at home. Mm. First of all, I didn't have to turn my living room into a, a bar. Right. Uh, Secondly, you didn't have to buy, oh, you go crazy buying presents because you weren't going to bring them in the car with you. Mm. So we had a very Dickensian Christmas. We'd one day to do it all in. So we had three kids 
my youngest brother and a, a, pair, a set of Illum pipes in the car with us, put them all into the log cabin and we went, my husband took one side of the little town and the street and I took the other side. There was a Woolworths, a bookshop and uh, a sweet shop and a supermarket and we did everything, got the tree, the whole lot, got everything up in the one day. Looked out the window on Christmas morning to see a deer looking in at us and frost on the ground. Wow. And we had the most wonderful Christmas. Just, you know, playing with the kids, being with the kids. And we really, that was the best Christmas I think we ever had. And then we got into the habit of going away. Scott Evans, for you, as we mentioned at the beginning that, you, you know, you were away for some Christmases. But what, what are the ones that stand out for you? Yeah, I mean, living in Bangladesh, you're celebrating Christmas means you're very much part of a minority um, mm-hmm. for uh, for most of the rest of the country and the rest of the 130 million people living there. Um, it's it's uh, whatever day of the week it is, mm. you know. And so you'd be kind of going off to your English-speaking church like where everyone would have had the day off from their multinational corporations and stuff. And... Um, uh, and we would, and then we would gather around. But you're looking out the window, and there's nothing like it's you know 20 degrees outside, sun splitting the stones. You might go out and sunbathe after you open your presents or something. It was just a really odd um, kind of uh, experience. But it was something that was then kind of made it so special for our family because it was almost like a secret thing we were engaging in, mm. rather than it being something that the whole culture was having. It was almost like a um, our uh, family's experience that nobody else, not in an exclusive way, but no one else kind of was sharing in our little secret or something you know so um, so that was really special And did any traditions make it overseas with you? Um from I mean, when we mm. came from Ireland, mm. n- not that I re- not that I re- I actually don't remember any Christmases from before I was from before Bangladesh actually. So I don't um, not as far as I know, um, but I know that we brought a lot of stuff back that doesn't look very Irish to um, our experience in, in, in mm. Ireland. So like Bangladeshi Christmas stockings and stuff like that, which is, <laughs> you know, like, you know, things made of jute, uh, which you just don't get here. Um, but for us, are, you know, they have that feel and that smell that brings you back to that kind of shared childhood experience. It is interesting when you look at the Christmases we celebrate now, and, you know, they're heavily influenced by Dickens. When we go back mm-hmm. to A Christmas Carol, I think Christmas trees were just coming in vogue from Prince mm-hmm. Albert, and there was a few other bits of piece. You know, we've put our own flavour on them as well. What distinguishes an Irish Christmas for for people around the table, Christine? Um, an Irish Christmas. Well, you see, this is the thing as well. It's I I think the difference between. Most of my Christmas I spent in Italy, to be honest. This year we're here because we have a little baby coming in. A little baby was born six weeks ago, my first grandchild. Congratulations. So that is wonderful. So we have a little baby, Gisetta, in the, in the, uh, her name is actually um, not Gisetta. We just call her that because of the baby Jesus thing. Her name is Isabella. So that brings a certain thing into the house, I think. But the main difference, I think, with Irish Christmases and Christmases in Italy is the excess that's here. Like, people Mm. just go mental Mm. in Ireland. Mm. And, you know, you can't get into town, you can't get into the shops, the crazy buying and everything is kind of a little bit over the top, which doesn't happen in Italy. Mm. Everybody goes to midnight mass in the little town we're in. Mm. Uh, The Christmas tree is outside. After the mass, the fire brigade come along and the best looking fireman is picked out and he sent up the tree. It's very, <laughs> it's kind of that reverse sexism that the Italians have. To it, they vote yeah, yeah. for it. So he's delighted himself. He goes yeah. up the tree. The Alpini, the little men dressed in the short pants and the, the little hats go around with hot, um, hot port or hot chocolate. And then everybody goes home and the sweets for the kids. The kids stay up till all hours. And then everybody goes home and the next day most people go to a restaurant yeah. to have dinner. And it doesn't cost a fortune to go. So it's different. 
You know, the other thing, of course, is that we were talking about Charles Dickens mm-hmm. and A Christmas Carol. And when you read the story, and I had the opportunity to do that again last week, um, poor old Scrooge is not having a great uh, old time when it comes to mental health, is he? He's, uh, he's got a <laughs> few visitations from a few spirits and, and a little bit of guilt going on in the background, too. You know, he's, he's not in the best of fettle over the Christmas period, is he? No, he isn't. There'll be no diagnoses here. <laughs> <laughs> Long distance diagnosis from, from 100 years ago. I know, but you know, it's, it's fascinating when you think about um, reading the book again, there's a tremendous spiritual connection through it. The spirituality of Dickens is, is quite prevalent, uh, Brian. Yeah, it is actually. And I think that two of the, and I read this book, by the way, when I was nine years of age. And funnily enough, I, I, I used an awful lot of the images for last Christmas for the Christmas Eve mass mm. um, touching on the idea of homelessness and the, the, the challenges out there mm. but the two prevailing words I think universal words everybody remembers about uh, you know A Christmas Carol is humbug, <laughs> bah, humbug. and of yeah. course Tiny Tim's famous God bless us everyone mm. and you know the image that comes to me is is that uh, at the start you have that old Scrooge who thinks that everything to do with Christmas is humbug um, and because he's he's miserable on the inside. And yet when he encounters these spirits and when he encounters the reality of this little lad, Tiny Tim, who, despite being ill and despite being from a very poor family, is happy. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 there's a challenge for him to be able to, through the spirits, uh, to do something about that. And as he starts to kind of, for want of a better word, change his life around and make a difference to the, to the Cratchits and, and to Tiny Tim, he, he starts to feel happy himself. And the more, you know, he sees that his resources can actually turn people's lives around and, and he becomes happy. His family see that happiness and respond like his nephew Fred. And that obviously he, he saves Tiny Tim's life. So, so that's what I would pick up from, from, from the wonderful story. It's a perennial story. Christine, in fact, that passage uh, appealed to you. Yeah, there's, because I love the idea that um, within A Christmas Carol, we get this idea that there is a power within every one of us to change the lives of others. Even in the smallest gesture, it can make a difference. So just to, to, to lead on to what um, Father Brian was saying there, this is Scrooge, a very short passage, first of all, as we meet him in the beginning, mm. as Dickens describes him to us. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grinding stone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner hard and sharp as flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire, secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his lips blue and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rhyme was on his head and on his eyebrows and on his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about with him, he iced his office in the dog days and didn't thought one degree at Christmas. So that's the man that he is when we meet him. Uh, Scott, for you, as a Christian, his redemption feature for you? Yeah, I think I actually found myself really moved by this story as I was reading more into it last night. Um, and that description is so vivid because mm. one of the things that just kept running through my head for our community at Christmas was um, there's, it's so easy to look around and and, and to cast people in a certain light but I was so amazed by like Scrooge is a he's not evil he's lost 
Mm. And that's such an important distinction because he he didn't because he wasn't born that cold, mm. and one event didn't make him that cold. He became that cold by degree over time, with the small choices that took him further and further away from like the hearth, the family fire, you know. Yeah. And and he he didn't become disconnected. Um, or angry, or bitter, or any of those things in one moment, we all get lost as a, in a process over time. And it often takes time to draw people back towards the center. That's why for me, it was the grace in Fred that I absolutely love. There's one particular line where he says, he's a comical old fellow, and that's the truth, and not so pleasant as he might be. However, his offenses carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. And that idea that that we place ourselves as judges that we say this person's done this and now I'm going to judge him like this and say that this is what they deserve. Fred doesn't get involved in that business. He says the the person he's hurting here is himself mm. and I won't close my door to a place at this table for him based on what he's done. It's my job to keep that open and keep the fire lit for him. Yeah. Aileen? Um, well, um, as a doctor, um, one of the passages I chose was um, it is a fair, even handed, noble adjustment to things that while there is infection and disease and sorrow, there's nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humour. Mm. Um, I feel laughter is often the, the best medicine. Mm. Um, but I suppose I also took, you know, a lot of kind of hope in terms of possibility, you know, for change um, from mm. um, some of the extracts. You know, what's really interesting about the book as well, it was written over a six week period mm. and one of Dickens' uh, relatives said that it was written in a white heat rage. Mm. And I, I found that very uh, encouraging, mm. that he was deeply moved by what he saw around him, mm. that, that, that it wasn't simply just a, an exercise that was written, but there was, there was an, uh, mm. something he wanted to change. Mm. He, was, he was very socially aware and very much affected by the poverty he saw and the injustice. And he, they say he invented Christmas, but it was already there. But what he did was he turned it into a sort of a, a refuge for the family, a cosy place where all the darkness was outside and the light was inside. And it's all about light and darkness, light and darkness yeah. throughout the whole mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. You have a piece there which is uh, about the redemption. of. It's about the redemption. You know, things can work out. Mm. And um, as we said earlier on, that if you look at the ghost of Christmas past, you will see the things that happened that built, started to build up to turn him into one man. And this is how he can end up. It's the day after Christmas Day and I should mention that the tank referred to here is the windowless office that poor Bob Cratchit, who was the overworked uh, clerk of Scrooge, worked in. Bob Cratchit comes to work late, but he doesn't realise that Scrooge has changed and Scrooge is playing a bit of a trick on him. Hello, growled Scrooge in his accustomed voice as near as he could feign it. What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? I am very sorry, sir, said Bob. I am behind my time. You are, repeated Scrooge. Yes, I think you are. Step this way, sir, if you please. It's only once a year, sir, pleaded Bob, appearing from the tank. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend, said Scrooge. I am not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, he continued, leaping from his stool and giving Bob such a dig in the waistcoat. I am about to raise your salary. A Merry Christmas, Bob, said Scrooge, with an earnestness that could not be mistaken as he clapped him on the back. A merrier Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, than I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavour to assist your struggling family and we will discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop. Bob, make up the fires and buy another coat scuttle before you dot another I. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. 
and to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master and as good a man as the good old city knew or any other good old city, town or borough in the good old world. He had no further intercourse with spirits, but lived upon the total abstinence principle ever afterwards. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well. And if any man alive possessed the knowledge, may that be truly said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Uh, wonderful. <laughs> Christine Dwyer, Hickey there, with uh, with voices as well. <laughs> I love this. That's enough for me now for a while. <laughs> well, Blonde Murphy's joined us back in the studio. Um, congratulations, by the way, on that wonderful choir. Continue. Thank you. Tell us their story. It's a new youth choir. They're all former choristers from Palestrina Choir or the St Mary's Pro Cathedral Girls Choir. We're just a year old, the choir. Mm. And they're really enthusiastic and they're great. They're really, really great. Oh, bunch. what a sound. It's really yeah, wonderful yeah. sound altogether. I'm curious about how one's time comes to an end with a choir. Well, usually with the boys, it's when their voices start to change. Mm. With the girls, it's longer, but we have in the end, they finish at the end of third or fourth year with us. And so these girls and, and young men now wish to keep singing. So besides... There's a couple of deep voices in there. There is. <laughs> so I think um, it'll grow and grow and I think it's got enormous... Uh, potential. Now, you were also involved in this Dickensian observations and some of the carols that come from it. Yes, uh, the one that's quoted in Christmas Carol is uh, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. And at that point it says, At the first sound of God Bless You Merry Gentlemen, may nothing you dismay, Scrooge seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror. (laughs) (laughs) God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. From the Continuum Choir with Blonnet Murphy directing. Congratulations. That sound is beautiful. Continue choir. Now, our studio this morning is packed with all of these young people and young voices, but we've squeezed two extra people into the table. Hello. Um, good morning. I'm Killian Murphy. I um, did eight years in the Palestrina Boys Choir and now I am 
a fully fledged member of Continuum Youth Choir. Oh, I like that fully fledged bit that's in there. And you are? Um, my name's Dorsheen Ferguson, and I spent eight years in the St. Mary's Pro Cathedral Girls Choir and had a great time there and wanted to obviously continue singing in a choir with the same people mostly. And um, yeah, now I'm in Continuum. Just wanted to say, even though they're only a year old, we went up to the Derry International Choral Festival and they came away with two firsts and a second prize. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Congratulations, no doubt about it as well. Uh, and Killian, the idea that I've been in on a few of the rehearsals for the Palestrina Choir and I've seen how Blonnet runs things. How is it different with the continuum? Oh. <laughs> um, they're all laughing behind me. Well, yeah. <laughs> Double agent. Um, she is a wonderful conductor. She's... Um, very commanding. We always do exactly what she says. We and it definitely works. And it works. As we yeah. got, um, as she said, two firsts and a second place. Such a good experience. Yeah, so it, it is. is. Yeah. Always. Well, thank you both, indeed, to all of your colleagues as well. And Blondie, you'll come back for one more. You will. Excellent. <laughs> well done. Well, Wasn't that fantastic? And the and the enthusiasm that you see in it. I, I'm I'm thinking about uh, Alien, the work that you do with adolescents, and yet you see this beautiful group of young people, and the sheer fun they're having. Well, that was really enjoyable. They're they're fantastic. But we know music is very good, you know, for mm. mental health. And I suppose in working with young people, we do try to, you know, bring in um, music therapy, um, art therapy. It, it is a source of joy mm. um, in people's lives. Um, and, you know, it's particularly pertinent at, at Christmas time. Of course, Scott, we've you know, wonderful voices here in the studio, but you're the first point of contact for a lot of students as the chaplain in UCD. Exams are over now, but what happens today, Christmas Day? Yeah, the, there's a brilliant initiative um, happening in UCD today. It's a, a, a partnership between UCD Chaplaincy and UCD Global, where we have you know, about 6,000 international students in UCD, and many of whom actually would, would stay here for Christmas. But because Christmas wouldn't have been part of their life wherever in the country that they've come from, it, it can be a bit of a shock to the system to suddenly realise every shop is closed, none of your normal things are happening, and everybody's away in their homes. And, you know, you may not be invited or included. And so the chaplaincy and UCD Global have put together this uh, big um, Christmas breakfast where they'll serve breakfast to uh, about 100 mm. students. They're probably cooking up the breakfast at this very moment. Wow. Um, for uh, 100 students um, who uh, who will come and feel like they're, you know, seen and included and at home uh, in our community. So it's really special. It's easy for us, I suppose, at this stage of our lives to forget that people are homesick, maybe, Mm -hmm. if they're they're away from home and the amounts of stress. Um, Can you tell me about this idea that people will still approach a chaplain in this new life we live in where we're supposed to be more secular, etc., etc.? But, you know, they come to you. They they do, yeah. Um, Sometimes I get referrals um, from... Uh, from counsellors and psychotherapists involved with with the campus, the student will come to me and say, I told my counsellor about my spiritual crisis and they said, go talk to a chaplain. And Mm -hmm. so that comes up. Sometimes I meet students who are um, beginning the recovery process from addiction and having gone to AA, they actually don't know what to do about the idea of a higher power. And so they'll ask, you know, can you walk with me, walk alongside me in this as I figure out what that means? And so we'll um, uh, share our ideas and our understandings. And then it's a place where they can feel safe to explore it and have somebody else who has insight into that kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. And then there's other students who just, you know, they just want a person to talk to who is not going to be judgmental. or. And it's funny because religious people actually, we don't generally have a great reputation for not being judgmental but we're trying to um i mean during this study week i think one of my highlights of the year this year i served 400 cups of hot chocolate with whipped cream and marshmallows um to students preparing for exams 
the idea being that um, if you can give somebody something sugary and warm in, in the coldest, most stressful time of the year, when they see your face, they'll associate that with trust when they're struggling. Mm. And the idea being that we we become faces that you actually say, listen, I know where to go when I don't feel safe or when I'm hurting or when I'm confused. Mm. Um, I know that that would be a good person to talk to. So we try to build that relationship. I have to admit, you know, we, we'll, and we're going, we're moving from Christmas past into Christmas present, mm. uh, that I was quite surprised to discover that some of your students are in quite a state of distress, either as a result of financial or, or even homelessly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have um, um, students who are encountering homelessness at the moment. We've had students who um, have been kicked out of their houses because of disagreements with their family, which is, you know, really connected to the Christmas story for a lot of people. Um, we have students who... At different times in the year, we found out that they've been living in tents for weeks. We have students in direct provision who have been brilliantly welcomed into the university and we're delighted that that's been made available to them, but who can't actually afford to travel to the university to take up their classes. And so, you know, they might be trying to find ways to sleep. I knew stories about people who were sharing stories about secret places they could sleep on campus so that they wouldn't have to go home, whether they didn't have a home or home wasn't a safe place for them. And so, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of distress around, especially this time of year. Uh, Alien, when you hear that story, I presume it comes as no surprise to you, given the work mm. that you that you do, because we we tend to see uh, the idea that somebody being homeless or in distress as almost being something that doesn't happen in a place like a university. Yeah, it's quite shocking to to hear that. I mean, I mainly work with adolescents at the moment, and young people today are faced with with you know a number of of uh, different stressors. Um, I suppose it's it's heartening to hear that there there is supports there. Um, I think there's a lot more awareness now about you know mental health difficulties and people who are struggling. Um, and it is really important for young people to to reach out um, and to signpost you know the help mm-hmm. that that is available. And anyone listening to us this morning, and it's very possible that this morning we have people who are listening to us on their own uh, mm-hmm. or who are feeling lonely. What do they do? That's a theme I think that comes up um, a lot at Christmas. It's meant to be this really happy, you know, cheery holiday. And the you know the reality is that unfortunately a lot of people are quite lonely. Um, you know, I know the elderly, and you know, um, it's really important thing to reach out to an elderly neighbour. You know, particularly if you know they are going to be on their own. Even just you know, pop it in for five or ten minutes or a cup of hot chocolate. You know, make a big difference. Um, I think there's another form of loneliness, even though you might be surrounded, you know, by family, a lot of cheer. Um, if you've been recently bereaved, there's an empty, you know, place mm. at the table and can be lonely time for a lot of people for lots of different reasons. But the stress can also build up because somebody doesn't want to spoil Christmas yet they're feeling very sad themselves. Yes, and unfortunately, you know, sometimes you get a lot of young people that they do decide just to isolate themselves in the, you know, in the bedroom or, you know, kind of manage it by avoiding because they don't, um, you know, want to perceive that they're they're spoiling things, you know, for everyone else. So again, it's important to reach out to that young person if they are in the bedroom, get them down, you know, um, you know, maybe bring out, you know, family game, encourage them to come down to the, you know, the Christmas table rather than, you know, facilitate the dinner upstairs, but to try and include everyone for some part of the day anyway. Yeah. Father Brian, I read recently something that you wrote about the idea that, uh, you know, young people in, in your in the parishes that for example that you yeah. work in are also under a, a similar kind of pressure to you know have the bling have to to, to, to dress the part yeah, yeah that's true uh, that was in the context of you know a, um, a prisoner who sadly was was murdered uh, some short time ago and uh, it it struck me as it does when we hear these things uh, that uh, you know that lifestyle or that the world that that kind of thing happens in is it can be you know a, a world that you know people are 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 very heavily interested in the, the things of the surface like the you know the the bling like mm. the designer stuff like the expensive uh, runners and, and so on and uh, that the, the the 
the deeper need is missing. Um, and, and there's a sadness and a misery there yeah. behind it in many ways. I'm thinking of the, you know, Brother Kevin, who's yeah. one of your of, of your team, yeah. and the work that he's been doing and the rest of the uh, brothers and fathers have been doing for a while. And, you know, you're right. For a long time, it was a, a certain group of people in, in the country who were homeless, yeah. the elderly. Yeah. That's broadening now. Oh, it's, it is. And, and, and Aileen was just talking there about the... Uh, uh, you know that whole world, and I, it, I, I was re- reminded about three Christmases ago and four Christmases ago. I, no, it was more. It was chaplain to Beaumont Hospital, mm. actually, and I had uh, a cold, and I wasn't feeling great. And I was on duty. I was on night duty, and you don't visit patients at night, you know. So you just mm. you stay on the bleep, and of course, as luck would have it, my bleep was going off, and I was called to different parts of the hospital, and I was struggling. And I met this this uh, doctor, this this young reg, mm. uh, as we passed by, and I was kind of dragging myself along, and I thought maybe he'd give me a shot and give me some kind of drink. <laughs> he said, get to bed. <laughs> now, it's not very easy to get to bed when you're on duty, yeah. but get to bed is the, is, is the obvious thing to do when you've got a home. Mm. But you have people with influenza or with colds or with sicknesses who are homeless. Like, mm. we know we can get to bed, but they... So it just sort of struck me there as you were talking that this idea that... You know, people who have, when we feel kind of good or when we feel normal, you know, you might be able to kind of survive or to sleep out or up. But when you're sick mm-hmm. and you're you're feeling awful, and homeless people also feel like that, and they've no place to go, mm-hmm. it's really scary. We can sometimes, uh, and Aileen, you might be able to address this one for me, end up almost feeling a little bit paralysed ourselves uh, when we start looking at somebody in a situation of distress, mm-hmm. and we feel helpless. How do we overcome that? Because it just, we might in some cases just ignore or, or isolate the person rather than getting in there and doing something. I think it's really, you know, hard for, you know, other people on the outside looking in or a lot of parents, you know, when their young person, you know, is is struggling. Um, and actually there was, going back to Christmas Carol again, there was, um, I suppose, one of the ghosts talking about wearing the chain that he forged in life and that he made it link by link and yard by yard. Um, but he said he girded it of his own free will and of his own free, you know, will I wore it. But just like, you know, you can wear a chain, you can take it off as well. Very often there is small steps, no matter, you know, how small. I mean, obviously it does depend on the context and the, the situation. As you said, mm. you know, part of self-care is sleep, but, you know, as you're mm. saying, if you don't have a home, how can you how can you do that? But I think it's looking <laughs> at your life and just taking um, kind of what practical steps, you know, you can. And, you know, for adults, I suppose it's, it's sometimes supporting a young person to, to find those steps and yeah. find that way forward. If you're just joining us, this is the Christmas Sleep of Faith. My guests in the studio are Father Brian Shortall, Christine Dwyer-Hickey, Scott Evans and Dr Aileen Murta. And another guest has joined us as well because we've invited some of the people who've contributed to the programme across the year to rejoin us. And Dr Gurusaran Singh Gogna joins us in the studio now. Welcome. Thank you, Michael. And happy Christmas to you. Happy Christmas to you as well. Now, a recent Irish citizen. Recent Irish citizen, yeah. What's your background? Where did you come from? I'm from India. As especially from the northern part of India. I moved to Ireland in 2008. I did my PhD from DCU in plasma physics. So by profession, I'm a plasma scientist. That's all Star Trek for me. Yeah. <laughs> plasma sounds really exciting. Yeah. You get yeah. to play with some cool bits of equipment, I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm always uh, passionate about uh, the technologies, you know, especially the green technology. So this is how I get into this field. Uh, but as a Sikh, what would your exposure to Christmas have been? Because I, th- I think there, there was a little bit of it growing up for you. I would say right from the childhood, I'm actually exposed to the Christmas because uh, although I born in a Sikh family, but as you know, India is quite uh, diverse. There is about 2.9% uh, Christians there. And I educated from a Christian school. 
So I was always uh, celebrating Christmas pretty much every year with my friends. Mm. And my parents were like uh, uh, open to different faiths and uh, cultures. It's so not is there Christmas in your house today? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we celebrate Christmas every year. And my daughter, she's uh, five years old. She's always excited about Christmas. And Santa Claus has come as well today. Santa Claus, yeah, definitely. So all those traditions have, have come <laughs> into your family. But there's another lovely tradition that you have as well, in that you also share an insight into, for example, the Hindu faith. Definitely, yeah. We, we go to Hindu temple as well, and uh, we celebrate Diwali. Diwali is the main festival in Hindu culture. And Christmas, and then we do have our own festivals uh, where we celebrate the birth of our gurus and saints. Recently, we had uh, Besaki in Dublin, which we celebrated. And I think RTE covered that as well. Yeah, it was the so Libre Faith. It was a great um, event. And 2,000 people celebrated uh, in Dublin, actually. Yeah. So, Guru Sarhan, there will be a Christmas dinner. Yeah, so uh, we have invited a lot of our friends. So we'll have a nice time celebrating Christmas and sharing gifts and playing games. Do you? Can I ask, what, what will you eat? What would you have to eat today? Yeah, we'll have, um, I'm actually vegetarian, so yeah. uh, we'll be eating, um, you know, cakes and um, chocolates, I would say. And <laughs> it's all healthy vegetarian diets. healthy vegetarian diets, yeah. Uh, I kind so, of like yeah. that Sikh food for that reason, too. Is, uh, yeah, there's a yeah. lot of sweet stuff going on there yeah. as well. And you mentioned the Hindu faith, which is a good yeah. way to introduce our next guest who's dropped into us on this Christmas morning. And that's Nishita Savant. Nishita, welcome to the programme. Thank you, Michael. Your first Irish Christmas, I believe. Yes, it is my first Irish Christmas. I was here last year, mm. but uh, I traveled back to India to have a Christmas with my family. But this year, I'm going to enjoy Irish Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell me what you know about an Irish Christmas. What's that going to be? Well, I'm here to find out ah, what an Irish yeah. Christmas <laughs> yeah. is going to be like. Uh, but I believe um, my son is going to enjoy the pantomimes yeah. and... Uh, of course, we are hoping for a white Christmas, but let's see. Uh, well, <laughs> there's money probably on that somewhere when they have it. I was fascinated to find out just a little bit about yourself and how come you've ended up here in Ireland. It's because my husband, he works here. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, luckily, I'm working here as well. And I'm a student here in the University of Limerick. So that's how Ireland happened to us. But there was also something very interesting I found out about you that you didn't know I might know, which is the work that you did at one stage with uh, children on the streets of India. Oh, well, true, uh, Michael. As a newly qualified dentist, I worked with uh, street children through an NGO there. And I helped provide uh, screening for them, the dental screening and treatment. Uh, a very small, uh, say, act, but it made me feel really nice. Mm. That, that's, it's, it's the giving, isn't it, as much as the getting when you come to that. Tell me about your house then for Christmas Day. Have you been influenced towards any kind of decorations and ideas? Of course. Christmas is always uh, full of sparkles. And uh, we have a small Christmas tree back home here. And Santa just came down the chimney today with his little gift for my son. Christmas has always been about uh, having a wonderful memory with uh, family and, uh, of course, this year I'll be spending Christmas away from my parents and my extended family. Mm. But uh, technology is there and we are always a screen away. So, yes, yeah, we are is going there to... be a lot of Skype calls going on as, yes, as well for you? Yes, same? that's true. Yeah, Guru Sarhan, that's yeah? true, yeah. 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 Contacts to home and abroad. Guru Sarhan and Nishita, 
we'll let you back to your family for Christmas Day and thank you both for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you so much, Michael. Thanks for having us here. Thank you, Michael. Christine, we heard some of the ideas of a vegetarian Christmas, but you still do a turkey. I'm doing a turkey. I, he's he's in the oven as we speak. And I think it's very important not to be daunted by these these yeah. fellows. I put him up on the kitchen table this morning and I said, now listen. <laughs> <laughs> you're just a big chicken with attitude and I'm not going to get over excited because you start reading all these magazines and looking at recipes online and, you know, it, it says things like keep your Christmas simple and then there are ingredients you've never even heard of. So anyway, he's in there and um, hopefully he's doing what he's, he should be doing. And when I'm finished here, I'm going to go to hear another crowd of choristers in St. Patrick's Cathedral and then have a nice little walk um, in the park on the way home. And then hopefully the fairies will have been in my kitchen and have everything ready or watched over everything. Yeah. And that's a natural hour day. We've looked at Christmas past. We've looked at Christmas present and, and all the vagaries of it. But, you know, I was just thinking about Christmas future. Uh, you know, if, if it was Charles Dickens who set the Christmas that we're having now, mm. I wonder what Christmas in 50 years time will be like. Oh, what are you thinking, Brian? I'm thinking I might not be there. Oh, you might. I think. might be in the kingdom. <laughs> uh, I'll be somewhere. Um, I would like to think that Christmas in 50 years time will be certainly based around family. Mm. A family unit of of all sorts of people and all sorts of personalities and all sorts of backgrounds all together um, you know celebrating and just being together and uh, eating and uh, I mean uh, you know Christmas 50 years ago 100 years ago 1000 years ago you know Dickens and so on I, I don't know if it's changed an awful lot in its basic you know ingredients of you know people and around a table mm. uh, somebody said that Jesus did his best work in the gospels around a table around mm. yeah, uh, yeah. eating so I, I would say that hopefully Christmas in 50 years time I mean I think the world will probably be we'll probably have uh, low, low fares flights to uh, you know the moon and, and maybe even beyond by then so people might be taking their kind of winter breaks on <laughs> you know Mars but however uh, <laughs> why not bring it on but I think that Christmas um, will, will still be I think similar in the sense that we will all be together I hope Scott the students that you're working with at the moment will be running the place yeah, absolutely. Um, that that's um, mildly terrifying, um, but uh, <laughs> mostly mostly very exciting. Um, yeah, I I guess I, just reflecting on the you know the Christmas Carol, you know, I feel um, the the one person Scrooge. Um, who is a single person who you can understand as a person on a journey and a person capable of redemption, I think to a certain extent has been replaced by Scrooge Incorporated, um, which is the businesses that demand the exact same blood, sweat and tears that Scrooge did. But because they're nameless, faceless um, Mm. corporations, it's harder... I want to know what what it is in our society it'll be that brings spirits to them that ask them to change their heart for the sake of the cratchits that are families Mm. trying to eke out a living at the moment. Well, my hope is that in 50 years' time, we'll have taken a look at ourselves in the mirror as a society and said, what are we pursuing that we claim matters, you know? The big thing, I think, for us personally, the, like the big lesson that I have in my head for us, is it, it was easier for Scrooge to believe the ghost was real than to believe he'd been wrong about his own life the whole way through. 
And I actually think pride is the is what stops us from actually asking those questions. And so whether it's the small stuff like mending bridges and asking for forgiveness and letting things go with people or the bigger society stuff. Uh, Ailey, I heard somebody say once, and it stuck with me, but instead of being afraid of some things and anxious about some things, we should become a bit more curious about some things. That's curiosity. Is a, it's a great, a, a great, a great way to, to break the spell of being afraid. Yeah, I mean, curiosity didn't kill the cat. So I think it's important that, you know, we do have a curious and open mind. Um, I recall uh, one Christmas myself, my family decided um, actually we might do something a little bit different. We went um, over to Romania uh, skiing uh, and we were very keen to see what a Romanian Christmas dinner um, looked like. So um, obviously, you know, when you're on the ski slopes every day, you're absolutely starving and uh, the hotel served for every single dinner pork and chips. Now, I liked pork and chips, but by day three, <laughs> I was sick of pork and chips. So we'd booked this fancy Romanian restaurant. We're dying to see, you know, taste a little bit of another culture. What does Christmas in Romania look like? What was trotted out? <laughs> pork, pork and chips. And chips. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes being curious doesn't work yeah. out uh, yeah. so well. Yeah. A bit of planning doesn't go, doesn't go amiss. The future. A couple of years down this, the, the, the road, where do you think our Christmas spirit will come from? Um, well, I'd hope that, you know, I suppose the core, um, you know, but celebrating with, with family and friends, mm. I, I'd hope that that isn't lost and, and, and that doesn't change. Um, I wonder, will there be a reflection on the excess? I mean, we don't see it, you know, across all cultures, as you know, has been, you know, mentioned. But I think certainly in Ireland at the moment, it's, you know, who has the most, you know, lights outside the house and the most mm. reindeers. And yeah. um, it's 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 really going in, in in a very bright direction at the moment. So I wonder, will people step back and reflect on the, the true meaning, really? Christine, should it matter? what people think no probably not but we live in very peculiar and confusing times I think Um, uh, with young people and older people too they're constantly on the one hand saying here I am look at me here's a photograph of me like for example when when my when I was a girl and my father going to a pub he'd walk into the pub and he'd say to the barman and Grogan's if anyone's looking for me, Paddy, I'm not here. Mm. And you get into the corner. Now it's people going in. Here I am walking into the door of the pub. Here I am having my first pint. Here's here my I am going out. <laughs> the Everything is washed. And then on the other hand, they're saying, oh, I'm worried about what people think of me. But, you know, we need to pull back a bit and keep a little bit to ourselves. You don't have to share everything. Well, another guest has dropped in. Uh, Hannah Stern, welcome to the Leap of Faith on this Christmas Day. And you're here because of an email. What happened? I am. Um... <laughs> So we've been living in the country for about six years now. And my seven-year-old son last year, who was six, was watching RTE Junior, as so many kids do, and saw uh, they were wishing Happy Christmas to all the children. He thought, oh, gosh, that's wonderful. But wouldn't it be great if they also said Happy Hanukkah as well? So it's actually been an endeavor for me to try and find the right person to reach out to just to kind of include us in those happy holiday wishes. And you found us. I have. <laughs> and we're going to do together one, two, three. Happy, happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Oh, thank you. Very- there you go, Max and Aiden. There you go. You see, mum actually has the power. That's it. <laughs> Here I am. That said, from Brooklyn originally. I am. Yeah, born and raised in Brooklyn, New Here York. Here in Ireland with mm-hmm. a Jewish upbringing. Yes. And in fact, uh, it's a funny story. I was about six or seven before I ever knew that there were people who were not Jewish. So my mother used to drive me around Brooklyn and I'd see beautiful big houses with a lowercase letter T on it. So I spent quite a few years trying to figure out where the A's and the B's and the C's were until I was informed that that's actually a cross. (laughs) (laughs) 
So there you are, yeah. <laughs> and now that you're here in Ireland, how do you keep that tradition going? Or do you keep a, a tradition going? Because Christmas is very prevalent. Sure. But Hanukkah is not necessarily the, the, the high Jewish feast, but you still you still celebrate it. No, and um, so I know that you've had people on here talking about Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, mm. and the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur. Hanukkah is a very relatively minor holiday and Really, the only reason we celebrate it the way that we do is because of its proximity. Now I'm going to get myself into trouble, but a bit of the proximity to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's difficult, I think, for Jewish children to see their friends and their Christian counterparts mm-hmm. getting gifts. And so I think it's taken a role more in the forefront in the Jewish community now, more for the children than for anything mm. else. But there is a tradition, if I'm not mistaken, of Chinese food. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Where's that yeah. come from? Yeah, so, so as you well know, on Christmas, so many things are closed. Yeah. Um, Indian food and Chinese food restaurants, they tend to be open. <laughs> so it's a bit of you go with what you can get. Yeah. And, uh, and Chinese food is what we could get. So it's a tradition for a lot of people grab a bit of Chinese food, watch a movie, things like that. Yeah. What's happened up to today, Christmas Day, in your house? Right. So for us, and again, um, my best friend and I live together and she's Irish Catholic. She's my housemate, Patricia. Hi, Trish. Um, So we have kind of a mixed bag, really. So we have our own Hanukkah traditions. So I'd say everything leading up to today, um, we would have lights up and we would be lighting what we call a menorah. Um, Hanukkah is known as the Festival of Lights. So each night we light a candle. So the first night it's one candle, then it's two candles, then it's three candles. And that's to celebrate when the Jewish Maccabees were able to bring back the temple from the Greeks who had destroyed it and rededicate it. So we celebrate that, and each night we have what we call sufgan yot, which would be jam donuts, jelly donuts. Mm-hmm. So when God tells you to eat jam donuts, you got to do what you got to do. do. <laughs> I, my hands are tied, and um, so and then Christmas morning is really it's her time with the children as well. So you know she would have gifts for them, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. but each night for eight nights the boys get a gift. Mm -hmm. So I've been up every morning at 6 a.m. with children who are excited for their new gifts. I'm wrecked. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Never mind the hyperactivity from Jam Donuts. Oh, exactly. Yeah, we really do ourselves in, don't we? (laughs) Hannah, thank you so much for joining us on the program this morning. And happy Hanukkah. Thank you very much. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. (laughs) Christmas morning is dashing along. We're heading towards the end of the program. Uh, Christine, your turkey's calling. I, I can smell it from here. <laughs> You've got to get home there. You were, you were saying something about uh, White Christmas. A white Christmas, yeah. Did you know that Charles Dickens, for the first eight years of his life, there was a White Christmas? That's one year after another. It's amazing, isn't it? It's global and warming. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder sometimes if that was... Oh, that was the start of his love for Christmas. Mm, and where all the Christmas cards came from too. Christmas cards, yeah. Scott, busy day ahead for you? Busy day in all the best ways, yeah. yeah. So so much great energy from nieces and nephews and family members. And um, yeah, um, the, all, all the best kind of noise. You know, the rest of the year is noisy in other ways, but it's the best kind of noise today. Father Brian, it's a working day for you. Yes, I have to go back and say 11.30 mass, uh, after which uh, myself and the other brother from uh, Priorswood will go to join our brothers in Rohini for Christmas dinner and then tonight the family and the Chris Kindle presents which I'm really looking forward to and any party pieces yeah actually I have a party piece uh-huh. um, and it's usually with or without you by you too they, they, they say I sing it very well it's not a Christmassy song but uh, we'll, give it a, we'll give it a lash tonight and Aileen for you what will be the rest of the day 
um, a busy day ahead of three kids at home. Um, so I usually remind them of the uh, four Christmas uh, house rules in our house. So it's better to give than to receive. Don't get your tinsel in a tangle. All hearts come home for Christmas. And no matter what you're having for Christmas Day, uh, Christmas calories don't count. Oh, is that right? Yeah, brilliant. That, 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 love it. That's from the doctor. We're actually brilliant on that one. Uh, which is lovely. I love the idea, don't get your tinsel in a tangle. That's my catchphrase for the rest of the day. The Continuum Choir have rejoined us in the studio. That's all we have time for for today. Thanks to all our guests this morning. Father Brian Shortall, Christine Dwyer-Hickey, Scott Evans and Dr Aileen Murta. As well as Dr Gura Sharon Singh, Gogna, Hannah Stern and Nishi. Thank you also to our superb carol singers, the Continuum Choir, and to their conductor, Blanet Murphy. Sound supervision for our programme was by Sheila Nivuil, the broadcast coordinator was Jarlath Holland, and the producer is Sheila O'Callaghan. Wishing you all a very happy Christmas. Ding dong, merrily on high, the bells are ringing. Ding dong, merrily the sky is ringed with angels singing. Oh, 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 oh,